Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Well, I uh, I am the host of the podcast, Multi-Faith Matters, and my guest today is Professor Mohammed S. Dejani. And uh, he is a Jerusalem-born scholar and peace activist who holds two doctorate degrees. He's founder of the Wasashia. Hopefully, I pronounced. Did I pronounce that correctly? You, I just corrected. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wasatia. Wasatia. Sorry, Wasatia Islamic Moderate Movement in Palestine, which he created in 2007 to promote moderation, reconciliation, peace, tolerance, and justice. And he is the founder and director of Wasatia Graduate Academic Institute. Uh, Dr. Dijani, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. We have on this program we have covered uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict previously with uh, an Israeli scholar, a social psychologist. It would be great to get your perspective uh, on a personal level. How did you develop this passion and interest in in working in this area? Uh, basically, it has to do with the. Uh, my uh, personal narrative in the sense that uh, I uh, uh, I was uh, at uh, the American University of, Be- of Beirut and then I joined Fatah and uh, then I left Fatah and went to the States. I studied in uh, uh, Epsilanti at Eastern Michigan, got my MA there and then went to South University of South Carolina, where I got a, my PhD there. And then I went to University of Texas, where I worked for a second uh, PhD. Then I came back to Jordan. From Jordan, I came back to uh, Jerusalem uh, back in 1993. And uh, at that time, my father had cancer and uh, I used to go with him uh, to the Ein Karim hospital for his chemotherapy and uh, and there I think uh, there was a transformation because uh, to me when I was looking at the Israeli doctors and nurses and others treating my father and treating other Palestinians so my image of the other changed and instead of seeing the enemy in the other, I saw the human being in the other. And so that's part of the transformation. And uh, uh, my father died of cancer. And a few years later, I took my mother with my brother and my niece to Tel Aviv. She had um, asthma. And uh, when we were, it was a Friday afternoon and it was Shabbat. So... Uh, the asthma became severe. Her inhalers were empty, so we had to drive back. On our way back, she, her asthma transformed into uh, a coma. And then my brother decided to take the Ben Gurion airport exit to seek help. And uh, there, uh, the soldiers at the gate uh, immediately. Um, ushered in the called in an ambulance, uh, an emergency medical team, and uh, where they tried to help my mother. And uh, unfortunately, my mother uh, uh, died that night. However, in my mind, the doctors who helped my mother uh, and the Israelis who helped my mother uh, kept uh, inspired me into that we should work together, we should work for peace, and uh, so that's how and, and these events in my life have changed me from uh, heart of stone to heart of flesh, from being uh, us or them to us and them, and uh, so I believe uh, it's very important. Uh, 
the human element because when you look at the other and you see the human side of the other, then your attitude towards the other is much more different than if you look at the other, you see a stereotype image of the other. And so that's how I started attending a, a second track diplomacy for peace uh, with, uh, with the Israeli leaders and uh, uh, politicians or uh, academics and others. And uh, so basically that's how it started. Well, we certainly need more hearts of flesh in, in this particular context. How, how long have you been doing this and, and what what's your background do you bring to it? Is it psychology or what's the, the discipline that you're bringing? Uh, political science. Okay. And, uh, and political economy. And so it's a mix, uh, it's a mix between politics and economics. And uh, I was not into religion, basically, or others, or, but I... Uh, and you know, I was uh, uh, a graduate of uh, political science, uh, negotiations, uh, peace studies, and and others, and other studies. Well, obviously, this is a long, protracted conflict. So the big question is: What do you say to each side that is deeply entrenched in trauma, in mutual hatred, and dehumanization? And in an ancient dispute, at least on one level, over land that's viewed through the lens of religion and the sacred. Uh, let me tell you this uh, narrative that uh, I, this experience I have had in South Africa. I was invited uh, uh, to South Africa by a Jewish organization and uh, to speak uh, at the universities. And uh, the I was supposed to go to speak at Johannesburg university and uh, I was told that it is very dangerous to go because um, there is the anti-Israel group is uh, does not want me to lecture there so uh, uh, I decided I should go because uh, I uh, uh, I had come from Washington to South Africa to attend and uh, to uh, give these lectures and um, so I, uh, uh, we left to the university. I entered and then there was this huge uh, grass court where it was divided by, barrel, by barrels of flowers uh, into two sections. One was for the pro-Israel and the other for the pro-Palestine. And uh, then there was this big tent where I was supposed to speak. And opposite that tent, it was a pro-Israel tent because I was invited by a Jewish group. And on the other side was the pro-Palestine. So when, uh, and both of them are South Africans, it's not that they were Palestinian or Israelis. And uh, when I uh, started to speak, the pro-Palestine group came to disrupt the lecture, to do the talk. And uh, then I, I addressed them. And I said, um, Nelson Mandela has left to a, a very uh, big heritage, which is uh, reconciliation and the rainbow of reconciliation. And uh, this is much more important than other, uh, 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 other resources that you have. So why don't you take this heritage and try to export it to countries in conflict such as ours? And instead of being pro-Israel or pro-Palestine, be pro-Israel be, and be pro-Palestine, but at the same time, be pro-reconciliation, be pro-peace. So instead of importing to us conflict, you would be, uh, uh, instead of importing our conflict to you, export to us the rainbow of reconciliation that uh, Nelson Mandela left you. So they like the idea. And they stood and they sat there and listened uh, to me speak. So I believe this is the same thing even in American campuses. Instead of being for one side against the other, the best thing is to be pro-peace, pro-reconciliation, uh, pro-acceptance of the other and trying to help us solve this problem, uh, this conflict, rather than 
each one entrenched in a, in his uh, uh, in his camp uh, against the other. It doesn't help. Yani when they demonize, dehumanize, delegitimize each other, then they are not helping the cause. So basically what we need is an end to that, an end to the blame game, an end to uh, hating the other. And here, I believe that uh, it's very important uh, for us to start uh, the peace process from uh, lighting one candle and other others will see that candle lit and then they will uh, light other candles. Extremists, actually, I believe that extremists plan violence and they plan to have people live in fear so that people can vote for them. And uh, and this way they are they stay in power. And so we have to overturn the tables and try to seek peace, even in, in midst of conflict, even in midst of violence, and try to talk about peace, though people think that peace might mean surrender and try to undermine the concept of peace. But yet we have to stand firm and move on and try to uh, keep going on, uh, despite the odds and despite all the... Uh, Oslo, in 1993, the Oslo Accords made a difference in the sense, before Oslo, it was Palestinians against Israelis. After Oslo, it became Palestinians and Israelis for peace against Palestinian Israelis against peace. Palestinian Israelis extremists against uh, moderates against Palestinian uh, Israeli extremists. Those who want the uh, want uh, a state between river and sea, between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, and those who want to have two states there or to have a peaceful coexistence there. Because the problem is uh, for those who want to have one state and to have the, that one state to be only for one group, he, they don't take into consideration that there is another group, another people there, and you cannot eliminate them, you cannot uh, annihilate them, you cannot, that's not acceptable morally, and uh, politically and military, so it is not uh, part of uh, what we are, either of us, because neither Islam does teach us to kill and annihilate other, nor Jews does it teach them to kill the other. On the contrary, the Quran tells us that God had taught the Israel, Israelites to that whoever kills a soul is as if he killed the whole world. And the same thing is in the Quran. So basically killing is not acceptable. And as a result, the only way is to, to live together and to find a way where we can coexist. We can be tolerant of the other. Now, I believe that the best way to start is that uh, in 1947, the UN uh, Partition resolution established two states, and it's a, a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jewish state was established in 1948, but the Arab state never materialized. And so it is time for the Arab state to be established. And uh, in this way, uh, we need to recognize each other. Israel need to, rec we in Oslo, Palestinians recognized Israel. And uh, now it is time for Israel to recognize the state of Palestine. And from there, we can start uh, to build up peace, to build up reconciliation, to build up a, an educational curriculum that will teach a culture of peace, of reconciliation, rather than a culture of conflict and violence. Now, part of your work that I found fascinating is uh, the way in which you combat anti-Semitism. Uh, what is the Wasatia movement's methodology that contextualizes and reinterprets seemingly anti-Semitic statements in Islamic sources that have been used to justify violence? 
You know, it is, uh, you know, anti-Semitism is deep-rooted in the Arab world uh, for many reasons. And, uh, and there are uh, there are educational issues where uh, people are not being educated about Judaism. Uh, it is, uh, there is religious uh, perspective where uh, extremists in Islam uh, teach that, is, uh, that uh, Jews angered God and that God uh, has uh, sent Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, to replace Judaism and Christianity because both Jews and Christians forged their te- holy scriptures. And so extremists take the text of the Quran and try to interpret it to any way which is totally uh, radical. Wasatiya takes the Quran and tries to see the text of the Quran as a whole and in this way uh, interprets it that Islam did not come to replace, the Quran teaches us that Islam did not come to replace other religions, but rather to complement them. And that as a Muslim, I should believe in uh, Islam and uh, Islam, Christianity and Judaism as all God sent religions and faiths. And in this way, and it is not important whether I'm a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian, because uh, like Gandhi said, that uh, what does it matter if uh, uh, if we want to, to get to heaven and we take different routes to get there? So basically, that's what we teach. And um, we try to undermine the... Uh, uh, interpret, the radical interpretation of of the Quranic verses. To give you an example, the Al-Fatiha is, um, is made out of seven verses, which is the opening. It is the first surah in the Quran. The last two verses says, uh, guide us to the right path, the path of those who, uh, whom you have blessed, not those with whom you, who incurred your anger or uh, who are lost. Now, extremists try to claim that the interpretation is that the blessed are the Muslims, the those who incurred God's anger are the Jews, and the, the lost are the Christians. Where in reality, if you read the Quran well, you understand that the meaning is totally different. The meaning is that those who are blessed are the believers, whether they are Muslims, Christians, or Jews. Those who incurred God's anger are the uh, infidels, the non-believers. And uh, those who are lost are the hypocrites who, do, who have lost uh, their way. And uh, so they are lost. So basically here, when you try to interpret the Quran in terms of Judaism and Christianity, it's totally wrong because the Quran tells us that you will not be a believer until you believe in God and his uh, apostles and his messengers, his books and uh, his angels. And as a result, that in, uh, and this includes for me as a Muslim to believe in, in uh, Christianity and Judaism. And in that in which we differ, God will judge among us on judgment day. So, and God is a forgiving God. If we had uh, been misled, then he is a forgiving God. And so basically, this is the interpretation. Another example is when it says in the Quran, a religion to God is Islam. And uh, then people say that Islam means the Islamic faith. While in reality, if you read the Quran well, you will understand that did not mean the Islamic faith because at that and the faith was not yet crystallized when the Quran has been uh, has been formulated, uh, but uh, rather it means uh, religion to God. Islam is Islam, meaning to believe in God, to worship God, to uh, adore God, and in this way it includes Christians and Jews, and not only Muslims. How do you know that? Because it says in the Quran that Abraham was a Muslim. 
long time before Islam. It says Moses spoke to his people and his people said, we are Muslim, we are Muslims, long time before the religion of Islam. Jesus talked to his disciples and the Quran says that the disciples said, we are Muslim, yani we are Muslims, uh, also before the message of Islam. So here, this indicates the meaning intended by the text, which says, and it, it, it intends that Muslims mean uh, to be a believer rather than and to submit yourself to God rather than the faith itself. So here, a lot of you know, that you will tend to find uh, where uh, and one can go into many examples uh, along the line, along this line. But I don't know we, if we have the time for that. <laughs> no, that's very helpful. I find it very interesting. In, in your opinion, what holds the most promise for rehumanizing each other? Is it work on the governmental level? Is is it on a popular level amongst the people? Is it a combination of those things? I believe it's a combination because one depends on the other. And we cannot have people to people without having government to government. And look at the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords have started government to government. Uh, the peace process that took place uh, back and uh, starting with uh, Egypt and the peace with uh, it was government to government. And unfortunately, because the um, uh, peace was not integrated as a whole, uh, it remained government to government. And then uh, Oslo came and then the Jordanian uh, peace treaty, Jordan peace treaty in 1994 with Israel remained government to government. Uh, then there was in 2002 the idea, the uh, Arab initiative. It did not uh, go well with the Israelis, and so it remained in the fridge uh, until the Abraham Accord came along. When, while the Arab Peace Initiative in 2002 was a collective initiative, the, it did not work for 20 years. Then. Uh, the Abrahamic Accord came and it worked on uh, uh, on an individual country to country level. So it was only three, four countries that were involved rather than the whole Arab nation. Now, here I believe that this is important because uh, it, building, it is building bridges between, uh, between, uh, between us and them. So it is building bridges between the Israelis and the Arabs. Now, I feel it's important that the Abraham Accords, in order for it, it is to move from government to government, to become people to people, it should involve the Palestinians. It should involve the uh, finding a solution to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Because yani, it will rem yani, the, um, the, it, it, uh, the conflict has deep roots. We have been in conflict and for more than 70 years. Now, the question is how to overcome that, all that. You cannot overcome it by, by making an Arab-Israeli peace. And it has also to include the Palestinians. It has to include ending the conflict. And I believe that ending the conflict, once there is there are politicians that uh, are good and uh, with good intentions, we can easily do that. And if you look at the, at the issue of Jerusalem or the issue of the refugees or the issue of borders, you will tend to find that they can easily be uh, resolved. And if, for instance, uh, uh, the uh, refugees, and when you talk about the right of return, we say the right is holy, but the return is no negotiable. And if the, if the, uh, and the return would be to the state of Palestine. Because I don't believe that Palestinians want to return to Israel. Because now there are two states. And whether we like it or not, it is de facto. And there is a state of Palestine, though Israel, though the US and Israel do not recognize it, but more than 80, 80 states do recognize it. And it is, it is there. And there is the state of Israel. So there are two states now. Palestinians do not want to come back to Israel in this sense because they want to 
find their identity, and their identity is in the state of Palestine. So they would naturally, their natural inclination is to return to the state of Palestine. And in this way, I believe that we can uh, basically resolve the issue of refugees. This same thing also with regard to borders. And we don't need borders even. And before Oslo, there were no borders. And it was, but if you want to have borders, it is not borders that will uh, block people from moving around. It could be permeable borders where people can move from one side to the other without, like what happens now between France and Germany. You can move from one to the other. While uh, 30 years ago, that was not possible. You have had, you have had to have visas and others, but now you can do that. I think the same concept could apply to Israel and Palestine. And uh, also, I believe that when you are talking about Jerusalem, if you look at David Roberts' paintings of Jerusalem, you will tend to find that uh, uh, hundred years ago, you know, the what we have today was not before. Uh, and, uh, David Roberts painted Jerusalem, had the painting of Jerusalem in 1839, and uh, in which it was surrounded by the wall that was built by the Ottoman uh, Sultan Suleiman. And then within the wall, it developed into four quarters. So a Jewish quarter, a Muslim quarter, Armenian quarter, and Christian quarter. So basically, when we talk about Jerusalem, outside Jerusalem, it has no religious values because it wasn't there during the holy days of the scriptures and Jesus and the kingdom of David and Solomon and and you know that was not there, and so and the holy places are surrounded by the world. So whether it is the Jewish holy places or Palestine or Muslim or Christian, it, it is surrounded by the world. So outside the world is what I call the municipal city, where the municipality can take care of it. What is Arab like Clinton's parameter? What is Arab is Arab, and what is Jewish is Jewish. Inside the wall, where the holy places are. Then and it could be an open city. The sovereignty is for God, and it could be open to all people to come and pray. So basically, and whether and East Jerusalem could be the capital of Palestine, and West Jerusalem could be the capital of Israel, which is now the case. And there is a psychological barrier between East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem. So and and this psychological barrier could be the borders between them, but remaining without checkpoints, without check with barbed wires, without uh, having uh, any uh, separation between them, people can just uh, move around like what happened, like what's happening now. And uh, so it is a reverse psychology now because. We are talking about borders between the West Bank and uh, Israel, where, which was not there before Oslo. And in Jerusalem, we had a separation wall, which was removed, which we do not need. And as a result, I believe that the wall that has been created should fall. And the wall within Jerusalem has fallen. It should remain fallen. It should remain the way it is. So basically, if, if we can find what you could say goodwill among politicians, that's why I strongly believe that why am I opt optimistic? Because I think of the future. I think of a future that where I can see your kid and my kid playing together in the garden or in the uh, park or we can uh, we can live together, we can stay together. And you can, if you want to join me in my restaurant, you, you are welcome. If I will go to your side of the city, you are, I should be welcome without any enmity, without any hatred. And I believe that uh, uh, we need to undermine the extremists by promoting peace and not allow the extremists to make us believe that the two-state solution is dead 
or that the peace is over and there will not be peace. And so this is part of the psychology. We should not be convinced that there will not be peace. We should be convinced. We should convince ourselves and keep uh, moving ahead, uh, thinking of the future in, in terms of that there will be peace. Peace is not dead. Peace is, is, is there, it will be there, and it is a matter of time before people realize that, before the camp of peace will be, imp be empowered and overcome the camp of fear and the camp of hatred and the camp of extremism. And in this way, you know, people look at today's government and they are very pessimistic. I look at today's government and I am optimistic because here you are looking at what you do not want. You do not want extremism. You do not want an apartheid Israel. You do not want racism. You do not, and as a result, when seeing it, it will encourage you not to have it. So those people who are demonstrating in Tel Aviv today because against the government, why didn't you go vote? And then this government would not have materialized. And then, and so that's why I believe Yanni, this government, the way they are handling things, the, it is an incentive for others when there will be next elections, that there will be elections. And for the Palestinian side, I believe the same will happen because uh, there is a symmetry of power. And once there, Israel calls for peace, then the Palestinians will follow. And this is part, and it is the powerful who will decide the uh, whether there is peace or not, because he has the power to do so. Now, I could, as a Palestinian, want to be uh, one peace, but as long as my Israeli partner is, uh, uh, is not powerful enough to have peace, then it is difficult for me to do so. That's why it is uh, important for us to empower the camp of moderates within Israel and within Palestine. Even the United States, in the United States, that's the, that's the uh, what is needed. And we need to empower the camp of peace, the camp of tolerance, the camp of acceptance of the other, the camp of coexistence, so that we can have reconciliation. And uh, I see reconciliation as a cycle, starting with moderation, and then moderation will usher in uh, reconciliation. Reconciliation will usher in uh, negotiations in good faith. Negotiations in good faith will usher in uh, peace, prosperity, security, and development. So basically, uh, but we need to start from moderation as, as part and to have a culture of moderation. That's why our textbooks should teach that, should teach moderation. At the same time, it's not only the textbook which is important, but also the teacher, the environment, the direct, the principal of the school and all the human element, not only the books, because you could have the best things written in the books. But as long as the teacher is not in his mind to have peace, he cannot give it to the student. And so he has, we have to set up the psychology of the teacher, of the principal. And this is where government to government is important in order to make it people to people. And making it people to people, we can do it through education, through learning, through, through practice, through ending, uh, the violence. Uh, and for instance, what happened the other day is that uh, there was violence uh, committed against Palestinians in Jenin, and then there was violence committed against Israelis in Jerusalem. And one, uh, it's a cycle, one instigates the other. We have to end that. That should be, that should stop. And, uh, and as a result, the government here plays a very big role because if the government can control the army and the Palestinians can control the extremists, and uh, so we can have a starting point from there. And from there, 
you know, after Oslo, till, يعني, till the Intifada of 2000, there wasn't real effort by people to have reconciliation. يعني, uh, the money spent on the wall, on building the wall costed more than $5 billion. While money spent on people to people did not uh, exceed $30 million. So you can see how much money was spent on conflict and how money, how much funds were spent on reconciliation. So basically that's part of the problem. And that's where we need to move on yani, to peace. And in this way, it is uh, the role of the US and uh, Europe and uh, Japan and, and other and, uh, player, international players to support this concept of peace among them. It is true that the outsider, the third party cannot make peace for us. We have to make peace for ourselves. And, and, and it is also, it is a bitter pill that we have to swallow in this sense that I have to understand that my Palestine of 1948 is not there anymore. At the same time, the Israelis would understand that the Palestinian is here to stay. And like I think that the Israeli is here to stay, and I would recognize him, recognize his culture, his uh, religion, his uh, uh, identity. The same thing is, is reciprocated with the Palestinians, is to uh, for the Israeli to uh, find, this is the starting point, the starting point is for Israel to recognize the state of Palestine and for the U.S. to recognize the state of Palestine. And from there, you can have two states sit together because you cannot have the type of negotiations that we have. You have a state of Israel with an entity of Palestine. It's not of equal level. You have to have two states in order to have equal level so that when I sign with you, and you sign with me, we sign on an equal level, not an entity with a state, but rather, or an organization with a state, but rather a state with a state. And this is not something new. This is you know, all you are doing. This is something the United Nations have decided in 1947, it's a long time ago. So it is long overdue for us to have that state. And it's not uh, a big deal. It, it should, it should, and it is morally speaking, يعني, uh, it is unjust for us uh, يعني, to be denied uh, our right for a state. And uh, that's part of what we should. And uh, that's why the concept of wasatiya, of moderation, we are trying to build a culture of moderate, of moderation within this within Palestine, so that an Israeli sitting in Tel Aviv can feel secure. He doesn't fear us. And the same thing, we want uh, to build a culture of peace within Israel, so that a Palestinian sitting in Ramallah or Nablus or Junin will not feel that the Israelis are here to evict him or to throw him in the sea or to throw him in the desert. So we have to build trust between both people. And the trust can be built only through peace, peaceful gestures, and through ending, and release of prisoners, through ending conflict, through trying to, for both government to government, to, to try to seek uh, a way to have a dialogue, because dialogue is very important. And we cannot build walls and stay behind walls and fearing each other. And we have to bring down that wall and see the other, the human side of the other. We can learn a lot from each other and we can help a lot each other and we can build together a very good life for our children and grandchildren. And even when the Talmud says that they planted and we ate, with, and we ate, we planned so that our uh, grandchildren will eat. It is the same concept. You know? We have now we have to plant seeds of peace so that our grandchildren, whether Muslims, Christians, Jews, or or Palestinians or Israelis, 
could live together and be able to. And if you walk in the streets, if you walk into the parks, if you walk in the malls, you, you will tend to find that if you walk in the universities. And if you go to the Tel Aviv University, if you go to a Hebrew University, you will tend to find you cannot distinguish between an Arab student or a Jewish student or an Arab professor even and a Jewish professor. And that's how it was. And that's how it should be. It, it, it happened before and it could happen again. It's not the end of the world. Well, this is obviously a very challenging context to work in where people are paying a big cost. What has been the personal cost to you in terms of being a Palestinian Muslim, taking the positions and doing the work that you do? Well, I'm being ostracized by the community. I, uh, they uh, isolate me. They try to uh, blemish my name. They try to uh, say that I'm a collaborator or traitor or only because I call for peace. And uh, not only, in, for instance, there was uh, uh, a conference in South Africa and uh, I was invited as a, I was a key spe not speaker there. And then there was Israeli professor going there more than 10 uh, in order to talk about reconciliation. And the BDS, uh, the boycott uh, and sanctions group, uh, tried to, to call for boycotting the conference because there are Israelis involved without realizing or without acknowledging that these Israelis are coming to speak about peace and about reconciliation. So the there was negotiations between the BDS and the and the and the organizers of the conference where the BDS said, well you do not have you have invited Israelis but you have not invited any Palestinians. And they said, no, Professor Dejani is a Palestinian who is a keynote speaker in the conference. And then the BDS said, oh, but uh, Professor Dejani is not a genuine Palestinian. Wow. I'm not a genuine Palestinian because I work for peace. And my family has been here for 400, 500 years. My family has been the custodians of the King David tomb for 500 years. And I'm not a genuine Palestinian only because I'm uh, I'm a speaker, I'm a peacemaker. I'm... So here also and within the Palestinian society, it is the same. There is the university, Palestinian university. I don't want to mention their name. Uh, I donated books to them and they refused to take the books because they were from me. You know, once they realized they were, I'm donating any 500 books to them, they uh, refused to take them. The other, and there was also another another university took 150 books from me, and then when they and then they did not when they wanted to give me a thank you letter, they stopped doing it because oh he is a normalizer he he believes in normalization, and I tell them yes I am uh, I believe in normalization. But look, don't you know, look at normalization from a different view in this sense. If normalization aims to empower the occupation and to uh, glorify the occupation, okay, that's bad. But if, the, if normalization aims to empower peace and negotiations and dialogue and to, to empower end of occupation, what is wrong with that? So, yani, also when they look at Israel, BDS, yani, so it is boycott Israel. But Israel is made up of different uh, groups, different. When you are doing it, you are empowering the extremists. When you when you say boycott Israel, uh, you are empowering the extremists in Israel by saying that. Look at Israel. Israel is made up of peacemakers or extremist people it is made up of racist and there are people who are uh, human rights activists so basically and try to make a distinction between those between those who are calling for uh, uh, an apartheid state in Israel 
and those who are calling for a democratic state in Israel, those who are looking at the Arab minorities as equal, and those who want to throw the Arab minority out. There is a big difference between those people. And that's so and that's why it is so important for people to be educated. And this is part of their education. I can understand before 1967, when we never had any contacts with Israelis, we, we, we do not understand them. I can understand this logically, Israel as a whole, because we did, you know, we did not know anything about Israel. But if we are talking about uh, living with them and working with them and uh, associating with them, we have come to know, you know there are uh, uh, there are two Jews and three ideas. You know, there, there are, you know, there is a diversity of uh, culture within Israel, and so we have to understand that and we have to learn that, and so it is like Plato's allegory of the cave. It is you have to walk out of the cave in order to seek knowledge. And in this way, we have to seek knowledge about the other. Part of our problem is that I, as a Muslim, never studied Judaism. He, as a Jew, never studied Islam. And so and we have to learn from each other. Also, we have to learn about Christianity and to learn about Buddhism and to learn about other faiths and to share the values. And to have and you know, to understand that there are shared values in all religions, and as a result, religion can become part of the solution rather than be part of the problem and part of the conflict. We have to move that. We have to make religion uh, part of the solution, and we can do that by trying to see that the common values between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and we'll tend to find there are so many common values. And at least there are 30 values that we share, whether it is compassion, mercy, forgiveness, uh, tolerance, uh, reconciliation, or you know, all these. You know, we can do that. And in, and, and in this way, you know, we, we tend to find that uh, do unto your neighbor what you want your neighbor to do unto you. And in this way, this is in all religions. And, and, and that's where I believe that we all we need to do is to stand fast, say that the two-state solution is not dead. On the contrary, the two-state solution are there. You want we want a solution. You want a binational solution, we are for it. You want uh, a two-state solution, we are for. You want a three-state solution, we are for. We are for solution, no, no matter what is the state. And, and so in this way, uh, what is more important is to seek solutions and to try to become more uh, creative. You cannot solve this problem with old ideas. You have to, because if old ideas did not solve it, then come with new ideas. And, and so in this we come with uh, creative, innovative ideas in order to solve the problem. And we can do that. You are smart, we are smart. You are educated, we are educated. Why use our education for violence and hating each other? Let's use our education for building peace among each other. And we can do that. And, and I believe that uh, there are times when people go through stages. Look at the, in the United States. Look at uh, McCarthy came and he preached uh, uh, extreme, extremism, and then eventually he fell down. George Wallace stood in the uh, at the gates of the university to forbid a young black uh, woman to enter the university. Twenty years later, he felt sorry for that and he apologized. And he, he, he knew the mistakes of his ways. I believe the same thing is hap will happen with the extremists today who want to kill Palestinians, who want to throw Palestinians out and do on. And the same thing with the Palestinians who want to kill Israelis. And so this way, I believe that this cycle 
could be overturned. And we can, there can be peace here, and there will be peace here. Whether they like it or not, there will be peace. And uh, the extremists will be a small party. And, and let them keep thinking, but the majority should regain the power of uh, uh, government and should regain uh, the peace initiative. And it will. I believe it will. It's a matter of uh, uh, time. We are intelligent enough. We are rational enough. And uh, so we will realize that people ask me, they say, but the Israelis don't want peace. And I, I say, uh, why Why do you say that? Why, why There are Israelis who do not want peace. And there are Israelis who want peace. Okay, let's build the, let's build with the Israelis who want peace, bridges. Talk to them, speak to them, have a dialogue with them. So basically, uh, and then we we say, okay, if you do not want to make peace, what is the alternative? We have been fighting for 70 years and it did not give any result. Let's, and like uh, Frost said in his poem, the other road, let's take the other road. Maybe taking the other road could lead us to a better place. Rather, if we are walking on a road that is closed, and if we are in a hole and keep digging, and the hole gets deeper, the 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 logic, the rational thing to do is to stop digging and find a way to get out of the hole. And the same thing with the tunnel. And if we are in a tunnel that we we see is dark and there is no end in sight, we should change the tunnel. We should go out and find another tunnel where where there is light, where there is hope. And I believe that the rationality in one, but the problem is, it is the politicians uh, want to keep the status quo because that's where their interests are. But eventually, like we said, people to people would pressure the government to govern and pressure their government. And so in this way, if the government is not for peace, then the people can push the government to become, to move towards peace. And it can be done this way. Well, Dr. Dejani, your, your work is inspiring, and uh, I hope others will join you in this task, both uh, Palestinians, uh, whether Israeli or Christian or Muslim or what have you. And I want to thank you for taking the time to have this conversation today. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'd like folks to look in the podcast notes and they can find uh, more information about Dr. Dejani's work and, and click on those links. And uh, again, thanks to everybody for uh, viewing and for listening to the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters. Until the next episode.